thought I'd come down lest I uh, trip and fall. Um, it's good to see everybody today and um, a happy, happy warm weather uh, month to you. This is so great, guys. So great. We're finally here and I know it's, it gets exhausting sometimes, right? Living in the city and um, the weather beating at you and having to trudge through it. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you drive, whether you walk, whether you take the CTA or Uber around the city. It, it gets exhausting, but here's a refreshing time, right? <laughs> here's a refreshing time, and so we're going to embrace it. So here's, um, here's what we want to say. A couple um, exciting things um, happening uh, over the course of the summer, um, but already happening now. Number one, we just wanted to say a very big congratulations to B&B CC Factory, that's right. Where are they? Brittany and Brandon got engaged. Okay, give it up for Brittany and Brandon. Okay, well done, Brandon. <laughs> that's right. We give big ups where big ups are due. Okay, and um, that's exciting. So um, please congratulate them. But at the same time, we also have something that's bittersweet but exciting at the same time. Is that, uh, where are they? Trevor and Emily. This is actually Trevor and Emily's last Sunday here as they're getting ready to move to Nashville to begin a new walk with God. In, not a new walk with God, like they're going to serve a different God, but like, okay, but a new life in God in Nashville. Trevor got a job there. Emily's applying and they're going to be connected to our sister church there. So can you give it up for Trevor and Emily and all that they've done? Okay. So it's exciting and good, um, but make sure that you surround both the newly engaged couple, especially if you're married. And then secondly, those who are already married, but being sent off into a new venture in life. So it's exciting and good. We, both, we celebrate both the comings and the goings in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So here we go. This is exciting and good because um, I wanted to tell you that we are in the middle of our Chicago Fire series. And I love this time of year particularly because in all of the comings and goings, thanks, thanks so much, Cole. In all of the comings and goings, this is a, a special time because obviously you look around and you see there was a lot of goings of our students who are here during the normal school year, right? Um, now that's exciting and good um, because they're going to be doing plenty of different things um, over the course of the summer. As Cole mentioned, some of them are going on mission trips. Some of them are um, going to be working jobs. Some of them well, that we know that you've even supported as a church are going to be doing internships and in ministry, um, both here domestically and abroad. So you've helped with that. And so, um, but at the same time, what do we do uh, as a church, as the people who are involved in the real world, like I like to call it, anybody remember like we're in actually the real world? Remember when you were in college and sort of like you were in those university years? And for anybody who's in the university years, I'm just telling you, it's different when you get out. Can anybody say amen to that? Okay. It's sort of like you're in this lovely bubble right now, you know what I mean? And you have all of your friends who live right next door to you, you know what I mean? Uh, because you're in a dorm room or in an apartment, uh, you can see them anytime you want. You can, you know, I think they say on average, um, college students have about 20 hours of free time during the week um, that they wait oftentimes. Yeah, I know some of you are like, who are here, like that's not me. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. But on average, your peers might ha actually have 20 hours of free time, not grad students. But uh, yeah, but college students have 20 hours of uh, free time during the week and we, they utilize it in various ways. But when you get into the real world, it's almost like a challenge to continue that same fervor, that same faith, that same drive that you had for God when you were almost, um, for lack of a better term, being spoon fed when you were in those university years, right? All of a sudden you come out and it's like, well, how do I serve God in the middle of the workplace? Or you get married and it's like, how do I serve God in the midst of 
a marriage or you have kids. How do I serve God as I'm trying to raise the next generation for Christ and still be a part of advancing his kingdom? And so as we're going through this Chicago Fire series, I'm looking forward to talking about this today because you are the people who are in the real world. You are the people who are trying to do this on a daily basis. You're the people who are being used of God to not only see God's kingdom invested in you, but to impart it to a generation that's coming behind you. And I don't mean just a generation that's younger than you chronologically. I'm talking about anybody who's not yet serving God, but is being brought to Christ through his gospel and through his word. And so as we've been looking at the book of Acts, what we've been doing is we've been trying to figure out what is it that Jesus himself laid as an example for us in the church, and what are we to aspire to as the people of God in the church today. And so today's message is going to be actually called Jesus and a a Well-Built Church. Jesus and a Well-Built Church, and actually finding out from the example of the Word of God what it looks like to serve God in that regard. Okay, so let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your great, great goodness to us. We thank you for your love, your life, Father, your forgiveness, Father, you're really rejuvenation and you're refreshing day after day after day. And God, we pray that as we open your word today, that you would give us the ability to not only understand it, but to see ourselves in the midst of it. God, may we not be a people anymore who just look and observe the word only, but may we be practitioners of the word. May we find our place in the word. May we actually live according to your word and be the church of today, even as you've um, given us an example of what it was in yesteryear. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Jesus and a well-built church. Jesus and a well-built church. So where we've um, been going is we've been going through the book of Acts, and we've gone through in the past several weeks the initial missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, what it looked like, what he did, where he went, what he was involved in, and what he was to do in the midst of those journeys. Today we're in um, Acts chapter 14, if you want to turn there in your Bible. We're going to read verses 19 through 28, and what we see is this is one of the first times that Paul is having to respond to uh, persecution in the midst of his missionary journeys. He's having to bounce back and say, listen, God, you're still worthy of my time, my effort, my energy in the midst of a setback. And God, you're going to continue to use my life despite what it is that I'm experiencing. And so it says here in um, Acts chapter 14, then some Jews came from Antioch after Paul was preaching to um, um, a Jewish and Gentile audience. And it says, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. Talking about the crowd that Paul had just been preaching to. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city. So just as much as we celebrate the word of God today, that was not always the case, right? It was not always the case that people were celebrating the good news of Jesus as it was presented by Paul or the other apostles. It said, but after the disciples had gathered around him, it says, around him, he got up and went back into the city. So he was stoned for preaching the gospel. They left him for dead, but um, but the disciples who had heard the gospel gathered around him, and he got back and went into the city. It says, the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city, and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, 
strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. How many people can say amen to that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay, I'm sort of like, amen. Okay. <laughs> okay. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. So Antioch was the place from which they were sent to start this missionary journey. And if you can imagine it, they were sent out, went around to these different cities and preaching the word, and then came back to Antioch. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Okay, so a lot of times whenever you look at a set of scripture like this, you can treat it almost only as a historic piece, right? You could look at it and you can say, well, that was nice that that happened. That was nice that that's what Paul himself went through. But there's not much that I can extrapolate from this. The truth of the matter is, is that we know that all scripture is God-breathed, right? And is useful for teaching people to obey God, to live for him wholeheartedly, and to serve him in their everyday life. So that means that this historic account is for us as well. Say, this is for me. This is for you, and it's going to be understood in three parts today. Number one, if you're taking notes, we're going to understand that they gathered around Paul. Number two, that they returned to those they knew. And number three, that to have a church that's well-built, that when they returned, they stayed for a long time. They stayed for a long time. Let's start with the first part. They gathered around Paul. Now, obviously, we know that in life, you're going to hit some bumps and you're going to hit some. Bru- you're going to get some bruises. That is just part of living in a fallen world. And if anybody ever says otherwise, they're either one in denial or number two, not actually pushing against anything that really matters in life. Right? When you're pushing against something that matters in life for the kingdom of God, this is what Paul is making very plain and very clear to us. It will come with hardships. It will come with challenges, and you will, according to the word of God, have to live by faith, right? Isn't that what he says? He says, we live as the people of God, not by sight, but by faith, which is mean that, meaning that we trust God in everything that he's bringing us into because it's going to be something that takes his movement, his activity, his forward thrust, his pushing, and if we're going to join him in his purposes, there is never going to be a time that faith is not going to be required. There is something that's called salvific faith, which means that it is the saving faith of God. Whenever you put your trust in Jesus for the first time, you put your trust in his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead, then what happens is that you have the opportunity by the grace of God to be born again. He makes you a new creation from the inside out and gives you power to live in obedience to him. That's saving faith. But then for the rest of our lives, there's something that's got to be operating, and that's actually a, a dynamic faith that enables you to walk with God into his purposes. 
And the reason that we're able to walk with God by faith into his purposes is we have his word as an example paving the way. He's saying, if I've done it before, I'll do it again. I'm no respecter of persons. I'm always generation by generation going to honor my son, and I'm going to have the unchanging nature of my purpose executed through the church in which I dwell by my spirit. God is saying that to do that, though, you've got to live by faith. In the midst of that, though, you're going to face hardships. Paul faced an extraordinary hardship in this particular moment that as he was ministering the gospel, the people didn't respond in kind, but they instead tried to, what? Stone him. There were some who believed, there were others who resisted him, and he got beat down is the point. He got beat down. If you can imagine, I know we did a demonstration, I'm not going to ask you to do the other day, where we all got up and you were like a mob, you know, with your cell phones about to hit me. You know what I mean? That is what Paul experienced, but with real stones, real persecution, and brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world are still experiencing things like this. That though we're in a westernized community where we have freedom to preach the gospel without really any recourse except somebody might resist you in word and hurt your feelings. In the real world and throughout the nations, people are still, for the sake of the gospel, being stoned, being whipped, being beheaded, being persecuted for the faith and having to stand strong. How many people have heard of this before? Okay, there's a great uh, periodical um, that I encourage everybody to ch- look at or like check into. How many people have ever heard of um, uh, a great periodical called Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs, okay? Voice of the Martyrs, it helps us to understand what our real brothers and sisters in Christ for the sake of the gospel are going through throughout the world. And it encourages us as the scripture commands to pray for them, to encourage them, to come alongside of them as this gospel is advancing. But in Paul's situation, he had thankfully, the church, a well-built church, that even as he was preaching the gospel and there was resistance that came, even as he was trying to make efforts to see the life and the grace of Jesus Christ advance in a pagan world, and he experienced, it, he experienced these, this stoning, these bumps and these bruises, he had a church that in the midst of his hardship gathered around him, gathered around him, And you can imagine him, use your sanctified imagination and imagine Paul doing all that he could to obey God, doing all that he could to preach the gospel on the ground. Who knows if some teeth were missing? Who knows if something was out of socket? You know what I mean? But he was on the ground bleeding, saying, all I've come to do is share this good news of God's grace with you. He's on the ground bleeding, heaving, you know, like actually saying, what what have I done? You know what I mean? And the church of Jesus Christ, a well-built church, had a good response because they were well-built and they knew that it wasn't just Paul preaching, but they were all in it together, right? They knew that even though Paul might have been the chief speaker, they were all on the same team. And they all had one purpose, as Paul even exhorted the Philippian church. They were fighting as one man for the faith of the gospel. And so in the midst of Paul's persecution down on the ground, the church gathered around him and said, come on, Paul, get up. Come on, Paul. You can imagine them praying for him. Come on, Paul, encouraging him. 
Come on, Paul. Though others might not have believed, we have. And we're gathering around you right now. We're waiting for this same salvation, this eternal life. Paul, what you're doing is worth it. What you're doing is worth it, not only for our eternal life, but for the eternal life of those who've not yet heard of this Jesus. Paul, get up and keep going. And in each of our lives, the good news is that in Jesus building through his gospel, a well-built church, as you're living by faith and advancing, he's giving you people that will gather around you in the midst of the hardships that we have to go through to enter the kingdom and exhort you to get up when you need it. To get up when you need it. That when you're down, Sometimes you need a word. Sometimes you need somebody to come alongside of you in prayer. Somebody to remind you of the vision and tell you why it's worth it. Proverbs 29, 18, we recite this over and over again. But he says this, that without a prophetic revelation from God Almighty, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he or she who obeys his word. You need somebody who can gather around you, just like Paul, when you're getting beat down, to tell you it's worth it to get up. It's worth it to live by faith. Yes, those hardships were meant to come, but it's not the end of the story. But the truth is, we have got to avail ourselves to the well-built church for them to gather around us in the first place. The plot of the enemy is to isolate you. The plot of the enemy is to quarantine you and make sure that you think you have to do any and everything of value on your own. That is not the way of God. Many people in our society have been so hurt by other individuals, even in the name of Jesus and even in the name of the church, and been so disappointed that they push everyone away. They keep everyone at a distance trying to go through things on their own. And when they're getting beat down like Paul was, they have no one to gather around them, not because the well-built church isn't there to stand beside them, but because they pushed everyone away. They don't want to be vulnerable anymore. You think about Paul performing signs, wonders, and miracles. How many people believe that he was probably feeling pretty encouraged when he saw God doing that? But how many people know that when he was down on the ground, broken and bleeding, he was pretty vulnerable? You see that it doesn't matter how high on a horse you were at one point, at every point, God is going to demand humility from your life. God is going to demand humility from your life at some point because he says, I oppose the proud. I won't have any of it in whatever form it comes, but I'm going to give grace to the humble. And in the midst of Paul advancing his kingdom, advancing God's purposes, he was humbled. And all of a sudden, in the midst of that great advance, he was on the ground broken and bleeding and had to be vulnerable with the very people he had preached to. Do you see that? Do you see how that turn of events is going to be the case for us all if we're going to live by faith? That there's going to be some times that you're going to be at the head, at the point, right? Like the geese in a gum, like in a V formation, migrating south for the winter. 
And what do the geese do? They're flapping their wings, breaking the wind, not like that, but otherwise, you know, and they're going down. And then eventually, because of the resistance of the wind, somebody else, somebody, like another, another goose comes from the back to the front and starts to break wind itself. It starts to be at the point and says, you at the point, take a break. You at the point who are broken and bleeding, take a rest. We're gathered around you, and we're going to break that wind now ourselves. We're going to clear the path for God's purposes ourselves. We all have to see ourselves in God's V formation. Because he said there are going to be many hardships, many things that you're pressing through to enter the kingdom of God. But you've got to avail yourself in vulnerability, in humility, to know that when it's your time, that you're either doing one of two things. You're either responding in humility to the grace that God has to show you, or number two, that you're part of those gathered around those in need to help them go forward and move on. But you're either going to be one of those two things. You're never just on the sideline. How many people can say amen to that? You're never just a spectator. You're never just somebody who shows up. You're never somebody whose time and presence doesn't matter. That's how we feel in the westernized church, because there's nothing pressing against us. Because there's nothing pressing against us, we think that everybody and everything's fine, and it removes us from the very faith that God needs from us to advance his purposes. Timothy Keller actually said this, there is no way for everybody who desires real relationship, he says, there is no way to have a real relationship without becoming vulnerable to hurt. There is no way to have real relationship without being vulnerable to hurt. And let me tell you something. That's not just with your brothers and sisters in Christ who we've all experienced plenty of hurt from, right? How about this? It's from God himself. Because sometimes you're vulnerable before God and he's doing something that you just don't understand. And has anyone ever been hurt by that? But if you want real relationship with him, he said, you've got to be vulnerable with me and one another. Because God's saying, you can't control me. Everything that I do is going to be good, but you've got to be vulnerable if you want to come into it. Everything that I do is going to be good in and through my people, but you've got to allow yourself to be gathered around in your time of need or to be one of the ones who are gathering for those who are in need. But when Paul got up, what did he do? He returned, he returned to those they knew. See, that was a powerful thing about the missionary journey that God had sent him on. See, he wasn't just a drive-by evangelist. You know what I mean by a drive-by evangelist? What I mean is like back in the day, people used to use tracks before all the technology, you know, and they were little pamphlets that people had. And sometimes you'd be like in a stall and like it would come out of the like the toilet roll and you'd be like, God loves you. It's like, not now, you know, and I, you know, okay. Or, or people, you know, people would like, you know, like actually preach the gospel, almost like throw a like track at you, like talking about the good news and run. Listen, that is not the kingdom of God as God apportioned it, right? 
He said, when I'm building the well-built church that I'm building, I am building a family. I am building people who are going to be committed to one another over the long term. Whew! Over the long term. Now, if you were a serial dater like myself back in the day, that's a hard concept to grasp, right? It's sort of like you go through th- people and you go through things and it's sort of like, okay, on to the next, right? On to the next. If, like in our job situations nowadays, right, when we're always trying to progress and advance to the next career move, it's easy to think in those terms, right? It's like on to the next, you know what I mean? Next bump, next salary move, right? All of these different things. But God doesn't build his kingdom that way. Paul and Barnabas, after they had initially gone through the places that the Holy Spirit sent them to establish the gospel, to see people born again, they went back to those very same people. He said it mattered. A church that's well-built is going to be well-built relationally. That it go, they go back to those same people. Why? Because they're family. Many of you are getting off of school and you're looking forward to going back and seeing What? Family, right? You have some summer months. You're going on a family vacation, right? In the same way, in the church, Paul's saying, not only am I concerned about seeing somebody come to Christ, I'm I'm concerned about seeing them make it in Christ. I'm concerned about seeing them mature in Christ and become all that they're intended to be in him and for his purposes. And how many people know that just like raising a family, it takes time, consistency, and effort to do that? B and I joke about this all the time. Whenever you see good children, a lot of times people look at the parents and they say, wow, you really won the jackpot. Let me tell you something. Nobody wins any jackpots in children. They all come out as hellions. Let me tell you something. They, no, it's the truth. The Bible says that folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from them. <laughs> right? That's what the Bible says. We're not talking about abuse here. We're talking about loving discipline. I tell my son all the time, and he says, listen, if I hated my son, I would let him go his own way. But whoever loves his child is careful to discipline him. I'm not letting you go down to destruction without a fight. Going to have to walk over me. (laughs) Right? I'm big. So here's the thing. It's like, listen, man. In the same way, Paul had this attitude. I'm going back to those whom God has birthed through this ministry. I'm relating to them. I'm consistent with them. I'm building into their lives. And let me tell you, I have this image for us today. It's about building with bricks. Building with bricks. And there are three ways that when you go back to those that you know, that you can use the bricks, the word of God, the truth of God, the love of God in your life towards the people that you go back to. You could do, number one, scatter bricks. You could do, number two, throw the bricks. And then, number three, you can lay the bricks to build a house that's going to honor God Almighty, that's going to be a church that he comes and honors because he's dwelling in it by the love of God, by his spirit. Let's throw up the first image. Let me tell you something. Most of us in our generation... 
full of Expedia and Priceline, full of lavish fun and clothes and living, are dressed to the hill, but this is how we come and pass through life in church. We come, we know we have some value to offer, but as we're dressed to the hilt, we're going down our sunny streets, and along the way, we're just throwing a brick, saying, I hope it lands somewhere useful. I hope it lands somewhere useful. I hope somebody can do something with that. I did my part. Let me tell you something. If you are a contractor, let me tell you who you're not going to hire. You're not going to hire that person who's just strolling down the street, tossing bricks wherever they might find it, hoping that a house gets built because the wind will take up, you know what I mean, all their efforts and produce something constructive. That is not a house well built, but that is the millennial generation. Woo. Hope it looks nice in the end. Or number two, no, just throw bricks. Some of us get so hurt and embittered that Hebrews has to talk to us. Where he says, be sure that nobody misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up in you to cause trouble and defile many. That's not God's responsibility. That's yours. That's mine. And not if, but when offense comes, we've got a choice of what to do with the bricks in our hand. Throw up the next script. I'm um, not scripture. Sorry, this isn't Bible. Okay, but it's like right here. We look like that. All hurt in the church. And you know what? We do it clandestine. Put on our masks. Make people think that everything's okay. But what do we have? We have a cocktail in our hand. Getting ready to throw it at any and anybody, any and everybody who gets in our way because we're offended. And the brick that was meant to give life all of a sudden becomes destructive. Becomes destructive. Go on to the next image. Looking like this. A mob. And is that not the young church of today? talking all about what the church has done wrong, what was gone wrong in our generation, and why people are done with church. Let me tell you something. Don't be a part of this mob. And yes, that's Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> if you didn't know. Instead, you need to be people who, as the Bible says, Paul said, I want to be a wise master builder. Everybody say that with me. Wise master builder. I want to be a wise master builder of the house of God, co-laboring with Christ. Why am I going back to the very people where the gospel was preached? Why? Because we want to be wise master builders who, next, next image, are laying bricks and actually do this, make an impact. Make an impact. That your life is useful unto the building of the kingdom and the church he's trying to establish. Next image. You want to look more like this. Might not look pretty. Does it look hot to you there? Yeah, it's hot, probably. And they're sweaty. They probably don't smell so good. But they're building something that's going to be useful and last. 
That's why Paul told them, to go, like he's saying, Barnabas, let's go back to the very people where we minister the gospel, sow and invest our lives so that something well-built might remain after we're gone. Let me be like Jesus, is what Paul said, where he said literally this. He said, unless a seed, here it is, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies. John chapter 12, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds, right? In this just basic horticulture, right? Put it in the ground, let it die, and then it produces many seeds. But does it do it without the dying? The answer is no. And we, we are so quick to want to skip the dying part, right? We want to get to fruitfulness, to ministry, to anointing, right? No, isn't that true? We want to get to the glory of God. He said, you get there through death that I might touch you with my resurrection life. Isn't this what Paul said in Philippians? And again, going back to parenting, is that not what a parent needs to do for their children? Die multiple deaths over and over again that they might actually live, that they actually might do what's right and do well. You with me so far? A church well-built. A church well-built. They gathered. They went back to those they knew. And when they did, they invested not just their energy and their lives, but their time. They stayed. They stayed for a long period of time. Is that not what the scripture said? Let's throw that Acts 14, verse 28 back up. It said, on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. I wish that in the first two or three years, after you get through the terrible twos, you know, after you get out of the diaper phase and the job's done. Okay, Paramount Stadium into that. But how many people know that if you want things to go well, it takes more of an investment as they age rather than less? It takes more of an investment, not less. As they begin to mature into <laughs> like who they are, they have their own thoughts, they have their own ambitions, they have their own plans, they have their own emotions that they're sorting through. So what did Paul and Barnabas do as the church was maturing? They stayed there a long time. And let me tell you, in our millennial generation, part of the thing that we've got to understand is that there are tendencies, tendencies that we have that are counterproductive or counterintuitive to this, okay? Because if you think about mentalities that this generation has, and I don't know why I'm saying this generation. And I, I, I missed the cutoff. It's like millennials are 1982. I'm before that. Anyway, but, like, <laughs> but the point is, you get the point, is that the tendencies are, I'm going to live as if it's all about me and not something really bigger than me out there. 
I'm not trying to offend anybody now. I'm just talking about generational trends. We don't give ourselves to things that are actually bigger than ourselves. It's all about what I'm able to do and the opportunities that I have in the moment. Tom Brokaw wrote a good book I'm looking forward to reading. It's actually called The Greatest American Generation, talking about the World War II generation and how they were literally like the ones who built the prosperity that we're living off of now. They built the prosperity we're living off of now because they live for something bigger than themselves. Everyone wants the prosperity, nobody wants to pay the price. And what you see with Paul is he had a different mentality. Yes, he was called to travel, but unto a purpose. Hear me now. Did Paul travel? Yes, he did, but unto a purpose. What was he doing when he traveled? Preaching and building the kingdom wherever he went. He's laying bricks rather than just throwing them. And what we've got to understand in this generation is that there is a difference between this idea of personal calling and knowing God's purpose in the kingdom of God and finding your place in that. Do you see the subtle difference? Most people today live according to personal calling. What is it that God has for me? Rather than going to God's word, finding out what he's always been about, and building your life around that, and finding your place in that. It's like the brick asking itself, what am I meant for? Well, if the brick wants to know what it's meant for, it's got to go to the architect and see the building complete and then find its place in the midst of the building rather than the reverse. But it's what we often try to do. Timothy Keller, who I've already mentioned, actually was speaking um, in this video about one of the benefits, but also one of the challenges of our present day mentalities. I'd like you to look at it and think through this theme that we're going through. In some ways, the, what I see in the younger generation uh, is got a positive and negative side of the same. It's a positive and negative side of the same coin. Uh, on the one hand, I've never seen a, uh, a generation more interested in community, uh, more desirous of it. Uh, as soon as I do a, a, a series of talks on community or sermons on community, everybody's there. Uh, if you put community into any headline, everybody thinks that's great. Uh, there's a real understanding that community is important and relationships are important. On the other hand, the younger generation doesn't want to make the sacrifices that enable community to happen, which means you have to limit your options. You can't just travel everywhere. You can't just move every two years. You can't just live any way you want. Uh, it means, for example, instead of just staying with the friends that you have through social media, it means learning to know the people who live geographically and physically near you. 
And so, so many of the commitments and the sacrifices you've got to make in order to be part of a community and the curtailments of the freedom that goes with that, young people don't want. So they want community, yet they're not willing to pay the price. I think that's both the best and the worst about your generation. If you're going to be a part of what God's building, many of you have heard this uh, story before, this analogy before, but I hope it inspires you unto God's building of his church today. We're going to read this and then one final scripture and then we're done. It's about building a cathedral. How many people have heard that story before in the parable? Okay, if not, here you go. A man came across three masons who were working at chipping chunks of granite from large blocks. The first seemed unhappy at his job, chipping away and frequently looking at his watch. When the man asked what it was that he was doing, the first mason responded rather curtly, I'm hammering this stupid rock and I can't wait till five when I can go home. A second mason, seemingly more interested in his work, was hammering diligently and when asked what it was that he was doing, answered, well, I'm molding this block of rock so that it can be used with others to construct a wall. It's not, a bad, it's not bad work, but I'll sure be glad when it's done. A third mason was hammering at his block fervently, taking time to stand back and admire his work. He chipped off small pieces until he was satisfied that it was the best he could do. When he was questioned about his work, he stopped, gazed skyward, and proudly proclaimed, I am building a cathedral to the glory of God. Three men, three different attitudes, all doing the same job. That's why the Bible is so important in terms of perspective, is it not? Why we need to go to the word of God over and over again for perspective and get not our earthly one, but his heavenly one. And why Paul, in his treatise on the church, said this in Ephesians 2, verses 17 through 22. He, meaning Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. 
and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That is his intention. That is what Paul was doing to produce a church that is, in fact, well built. Amen? All right, let's worship God.